In class time, we just touched upon some of the very broad general issues. Coming to something more specific, Shobindo says that the goal of this yoga is transformation. Now, what I was surprised was to read one of Shobindo's letters, almost uh, definitely more than half a century, maybe almost 78 years back, when he writes something which seems to be more relevant today. The letter is where he speaks of uh, the word being used nowadays. The word is being used um, very casually and in a very general way nowadays. People even uh, use the word transformation when they go to a psychiatrist and come back. That look, my life was transformed by this so and so. Transformation is not just a momentary change or change in one part of the nature. It's not even some kind of radical conversions. We have a history of some radical conversions all over the world in every tradition. There is, for instance, in the Indian ethos, the story of the famous uh, uh, robber and murderer by the name of Ratnakar, who converts, his, his heart undergoes a radical conversion after a brief dialogue with a famous sage and he changes into a seeker and subsequently becomes a great seer himself. This is the story in Buddhist tradition of uh, another man called Angulimal who changes radically into Ananda. This is the story in the Christian tradition of we know St. Augustine's life, we know Saul of Tarsius, there are many, many such stories which may give an appearance as if this is the transformation Shravinda is speaking of. After all, what can be more radical than a change of heart from a person who is a known killer to somebody who is a paragon of kindness, piety, virtue, godliness, saintliness. This is not the transformation that Shurabindu speaks of. He uses the word in a very specific sense and perhaps it's best to read in his own language, in his own words. <clears throat> transformation is a word that I have brought to myself, brought in myself, like supermind, to express certain spiritual concepts and spiritual facts of the integral yoga. Supermind. Many people nowadays use the word very casually. Something above the mind is supermind. We don't even know the highest features of mind. Even to be truly a rational human being. To live in true reason. Not the reason which is dependent on just physical data. But there is a true reason, a true understanding is itself an effort and to enter into any of these reaches of the higher consciousness one may very easily be deluded like last time we were speaking of into believing that one has entered the supermind. I have heard even a even an Indian ascetic when somebody was asked there was a lecture going on in Madurai and somebody, somebody asked this Swamiji uh, tell us about the supermind. He says, oh, that's, uh, you know, what is supermind? It is just, you know, when mind, uh, you know, you go about mind, it is supermind. Obviously, he didn't know what he's speaking about. And uh, sometimes wearing a certain robe helps to give an authenticity. But supermind is not about robes and disguises. All these fall. Those lines of Savitri which are kept open as we enter on a dizzy height where all disguises fail and the human mind must abdicate to light or die like a moth in that blaze, in that burning blaze. 
There is a story about Shurvindo. One of the saints in East Bengal, uh, well-known saints of his own time, he was known as Bama Khipa. When one of his disciples asked him about Shurvindo, he said, "Yes, you." He in fact uh, he had a way of speaking, and he scolded his disciple. You who lives in the dirt of ordinary human nature, you have the audacity to bring Shurvindo's name on your tongue. This is how you know the great traditions in India work. You have the audacity to speak so casually about his name, and then this great mystic tells his disciple, "You know, I have seen him cross the gates of the sun from where no one returns. He had seen it in his mystic experience." So the matter was reported to Shurvindo. to seek his confirmation because this is a well known uh, well known experience the upanishads are full of it they speak about it shri ramakrishna paramahansa spoke about it the gates of the sun through which when you pass you cannot return back the human mind must abdicate to light or die like a moth there is all things made with form and name disappear you cannot it cannot exist there So when Shubhendu was asked about the authenticity of the statement made by the mystic, he said, "Yes, yes, he did see me go, but he didn't see me come back." <laughs> he is speaking of it as if it's going from Oroville to Pondicherry and coming back. So, because Shubhendu spoke in with such humor, with such uh, simplicity, almost the simplicity of a child. but he knew that you know these terms are going to be used later people are going to put all sorts of meanings so his this letter must be almost in 1930s people are now taking them up and using them in senses which have nothing to do with the significance i put into them i don't know in 30s whether really anybody was speaking about it or not but definitely nowadays there are Uh, integral yoga the word has been already you know used uh, you know nowadays there is this intellectual property right so there is a whole group which has patented the word integral yoga and that is nothing to do with integral yoga it is a typical traditional mokshavadi yoga it speaks of liberation mukti nirvana but the word is patented <laughs> so shyamendra knew about it long back transformation the word is used very casually oh i had a very transforming experience i went to this class and they taught us some beautiful breathing techniques and then you know we had a lovely dance with what music and i came back transformed it's an uplifting experience if you like maybe for a moment we enter into some sublime reaches of our own subliminal being we can have trance in which we forget all name and form and experience maybe if we are truly uh, marked a great and mighty rare being we can experience some touch of that the bliss of brahman but all these experiences individually or put together do not constitute what shyamendra speaks of when he uses the word transformation purification of the nature by the influence of the spirit is not what i mean by transformation so we must know the enormity of the task and the beauty and the grandeur of it purification is only part of a psychic change or a psycho spiritual change the word besides has many senses and is very often given a moral or ethical meaning which is foreign to my purpose yoga is not just a moral or ethical life leave alone transformation it does not mean that yoga is an immoral and unethical life because human mind lives in dualities so the moment it is told that yoga is not about morality it says oh so it's about immorality but it's neither about morality nor about immorality just as when someone asked shubhendra about the gita and he asked him what are you saying there is it about violence he says no it's neither about violence nor about non violence it is to rise to a third poise where 
both become instruments of a divine action. So here is Shirobindo telling us what I mean by the spiritual transformation is something dynamic, not merely liberation of the self or realization of the one, which can very well be attained without any descent. It's not about liberation of the spirit which is involved in matter, finds itself in mind and thought in human nature to extricate it. It's right now mingled and it's caught up in the meshes of human mind because thus far it has been liberated by the process of evolution and there are various processes, special methods by which this spirit involved in the mind can be extricated much like a uh, you know, caesarean section or a painful delivery and by uh, constantly uh, putting this one single idea in the mind, the mind itself can yield to the emergence of the spirit. But transformation is not about that. It's about the play of the spirit in mind and life and matter, which is quite another thing. One can liberate the spirit from the mind and its clutches and leave the nature untransformed. There is a famous story uh, which Shurabindu recounts in one of his letters about a yogi who was on his way with his retinue and uh, he was a strange yogi of kind, one of his kind, carrying his whole harem with him. And when Sri Ramakrishna Paramans asked him, you say you are doing yoga, what is this? He says, how does it matter? I have realized the self. This is nature. So Ramakrishna is reported to have said, I spit on your Vedanta. I spit on your Vedanta. Shurabindu remarks, Ramakrishna was right. But then, if realization of self is the only thing, then the yogi had a point. So it's true that, you know, if it's just a question of Removing the spirit from mind. What happens in traditional spirituality, only that much mental discipline or disciplining of the inner being is required which will facilitate the release of the spirit. Normally we are living a very gross surface life, extremely crude, almost vulgar. So a ethical moral change, a sattvic um, modification of human nature, it facilitates the process of release of the spirit from the mind. That's all it does. It makes our matter less dense, less crude, little more lighter, little more subtle. But if the spirit were to return upon the mind, heart, life and body and use them as its instrument, that is not possible. Because it is still within a narrow and rigid mold. It is still at best a sattvic mold. But the spirit is all freedom. In, in the Gita, there is a grand vision. Krishna is supposed to represent the incarnate divine. And Arjuna asks him, who are you? So he shows a vision in which he reveals himself as time the destroyer. For the divine, all is freedom and all is delight. To live in that consciousness and to use this mind, body and life as instruments of that consciousness is the difficult and challenging task Shobindo places before us. That's why the mother says very clearly that it's a long process. It cannot be done by some uh, few experiences and in fact she says that all sudden and radical conversions are always suspect. They are useful. Some great experiences, they enrich the consciousness but nothing more. It is a putting on of the spiritual consciousness dynamic as well as static in every part of the being down to the subconscious. It's not enough that the mind may have some kind of light. It's not enough that the heart feels some kind of love and ananda of the divine. It's not enough even that our will is moved by the fusa of the divine will. It is also the lower vital, the very body and down to the subconscious where all our atavistic habits lie as if buried. In fact, this yoga unearths it, if anything. In other yogas, they lie buried and one takes a poise above them. Those things, one sits over them, tight. And when one dies, finally, one leaves it like a useless cloak. But here, nothing is useless. One 
goes right down to the pit and all these things are worked upon by the transforming force. Nothing can remain hidden. That cannot be done by the influence of the self, leaving the consciousness fundamentally as it is, with only purification, enlightenment of the mind and heart and quiescence of the vital. It's not that. So sometimes one feels very strange when Sri is compared to all kinds of enlightenments and awareness programs. It's not about enlightenment. It's not about just some awareness of the self. Anybody who has walked with some steadiness on the spiritual path has these experiences and plenty of them. Yet transformation is a very, very long task. Nalida who for... I think if anybody lived with him for, you know, the greatest number of years, as far as the yogic life is concerned, it was Nalnida. Right from the prison days, he was with Sri Aurobindo, Nalnikant Gupt, and then he comes to Pondicherry, and then he lives, he lives with him right up to the end. And he, he was known as Manasputra, the mental child of Sri Aurobindo. So much so that when someone spoke something about Nalnida, that, you know, he had his own peculiar ways like everybody in Ashram and Auroville have their own peculiar ways. So somebody raised a question about Nalnida, whether his understanding of yoga is correct or not. And Shubhindo says, if Nalani is not doing my yoga, then who is doing my yoga? And about this Nalnida, when he was on his last moments, when Niroda asked him, where are you? So he says, a little above the overmind. Decades and decades of intense yoga under the intense direct presence of Shurabindra and the mother. Nalinda could have easily said, Oh, super mind I have attained. Now I am only transforming my subconscious nature. We very easily delude ourselves into this belief. If, a, if anybody who is into Shurabindra's yoga has a joint pain, take it for granted he is not suffering from arthritis. He is suffering from transformation going on in the inconscient. It's okay, <laughs> nothing wrong. The Lord has own ways of teaching us. But the point is that it's a long, long process. We must be armed with unflinching patience and a great endurance, a perseverance that is willing to walk centuries and centuries and millenniums for just this one change. It's a beautiful line in Sri poem. Krishna, at last I know the meaning of soul's birth into this universe, terrible and sweet. And it ends with very beautiful two lines. For this one moment, lived the ages past. The world now throbs, fulfilled in me at last. We should not be impatient. What does it matter? Even 300 years people find difficult. Even if 1000 years, 10,000 years, this is worth doing. This is worth doing. Worth attempting. Worth losing everything. Worth living. Worth dying. So here is Shurabindo telling us of the enormity of the program. That don't be happy and satisfied just with some experiences. Even if they are very high. By transformation, I do not mean some change of the nature. I do not mean, for instance, sainthood or ethical perfection. Not even sainthood. In this yoga, there are no Swamiji's and we all know no saints, definitely. Sainthood is a kind of, nature is given a certain kind of psychic turn. It gets some kind of a psychic light and influence irradiates into the nature so that the human nature becomes more malleable. It becomes, it, it, through that thick cloak, some bit of that light and love gets infiltrated. That's saintliness. But Shurabindo makes it very clear, I do not mean sainthood or ethical perfection, or yogic siddhis like the tantrics. There is a whole movement to turn Sri Yoga into a pure tantra. 
and sometimes the most dangerous kind of tantra. Shobindu yoga is Vedanta and tantra combined. There is a tantra element in it, but tantra of a very very different kind. The mother herself is the supreme tantric here. It is not an ascent merely, but her descent. One needs to have a very very pure nature inside, open only to her influence, which is a long process. So Shobindu makes it very clear. It does not mean some yogic siddhis like the tantrics. Yogic siddhis, we know there are vital siddhis, anima, garima, lagima, mahima, asta siddhis. In one of the letters, Shurabindu says, it's not about vital siddhis, vyapti and all kinds of thought reading, thought transference. All these, any yogi who has delved deeply into this realm knows it and has them. Or a transcendental Chinmaya body. There are instances in spiritual history like uh, Swami Ram, Telanga Swami and uh, some other where people directly, uh, the, the human body, the physical body was left behind uh, and disappeared and they disappeared into some transcendent body. There is a story of Kabi, there are other stories also. There is a story of uh, in Vaishnava tradition, there is a story in Christian tradition of a glorified body, of an ethereal body. So Shurabindu is saying that I do not mean these things. There are such bodies other than the physical body. I use transformation in a special sense. A change of consciousness, radical and complete. Radical. After that there is no falling back. And complete. Down to the minutest details. And of a certain specific kind which is so conceived as to bring about a strong and assured step forward in the spiritual evolution of the being of a greater and higher kind and a larger sweep and completeness than what took place when a mentalized being first appeared in a vital and material world. This we all know. Human beings don't have to be taught to think. They have to be taught how to think. But thought comes naturally to us. By the very fact we are mentalized consciousness. But spirituality doesn't come naturally to us. It's something still abnormal. It's something still mystic, foreign. We have to make a great effort. But a supramental change would mean that all that is very, very natural. We live in that consciousness as naturally as we breathe this air. Imagine what would be when a child is takes a human body and is conscious of his soul. What would be the problem with the parents when they tell you are a little kid, better behave. So you will say you are a kid, you don't know, I am thousand of years old. <laughs> Mother spoke of such children who are going to come and she said it's going to be very very difficult to bring them up because they are going to carry a different consciousness altogether. I know of a five year old child when his mother was scolding him this right in front of my eyes, I have seen this child scolding him about something and saying, is this the way you should behave? The child says, is this what mother has taught you to be angry? <laughs> and he was not wrong. So, this is something which, you know, <laughs> these children, because they spontaneously carry that intuitive knowledge. They don't have to be taught many things which we have to learn from books and labor and struggle and break our heads to understand. They are born with that sense of freedom, joy, the sense of eternity, spontaneously. Light of realization is not the same thing as descent. Realization by itself does not necessarily transform the being as a whole. There is this another concept. Oh. Is he a realized being? So realized being is a transformed being. Realized being simply means that the being has become aware of its essential self. And it's the one self in all. But its nature is still the same. It's a cloak. Shobindo repeatedly says that we have to make a practical distinction between nature and the soul. Prakriti and Purusha. In a sense, they are two sides of one reality. Being is one. We are not only soul. 
we are not only nature. We are actually a little bit of both. But for practical purposes, it's important to know that at one pole, if we go deep inside, we realize ourselves as the soul. We are conscious of our immortality. And through that soul, we can come in contact with the eternity, which is behind all movement of time. We can liberate through its touch into some kind of static peace of nirvana. We can enjoy the freedom of the vast and the illimitable. But all that is still in some depth and some heights. When we come back to action, we are back to our nature. Some change it does bring, but a modification is not transformation. It may bring only an opening or heightening or widening of the consciousness at the top so as to realize something in the Purusha part without any radical change in the parts of the Prakriti. It's like our house has many mansions. We know this famous phrase, biblical phrase, and we go into the topmost and the most beautiful part and it's so nice. But the lower part is still the same. So we can live in that and believe that we are transformed. There are ways and means people even withdraw from life. They do not interact. So they don't confront what lies in the lower reaches of our nature. But that's why in Auroville, in Ashram, in Shurabindu's Yoga, you are forced to confront. You may be sitting quietly. This was one of my first beautiful experiences. When I came to Ashram, I sat around the Samadhi feeling very happy, very peaceful and closed my eyes. Suddenly I felt some disturbance around me. When I opened my eyes, somebody was telling me, you are sitting at a wrong place. <laughs> it took me some time to realize where am I. I was disoriented. So, <laughs> now I can see it was a very nice thing. That time for a while I thought, near the Samadhi, this, I realized you have to confront yourself. <laughs> Everywhere. You cannot escape. You have a problem <laughs> inside you. So here is a person pointing out to you, bringing you to the surface and showing you this too is there. Don't be so absorbed inside. I mean, that's, that's how I looked at it <laughs> later on, not immediately. First, first reaction was, this man is not even so sensitive. He's disturbing somebody who is sitting deep absorbed around, around the samadhi and he brings me, you know, somebody out like this. How insensitive. Then I realized you are doing a good work. <laughs> good divine work. To teach all of us that there is in us many parts which are untransformed. And that is why the mother says the path of this yoga goes through an uncharted territory. You feel everything is fine, very beautiful. You almost feel you have got it. And then something happens. <laughs> Somebody says just what you don't want to hear. And a telephone comes and everything is upset. And a little fall. And all your ideas that the human body is turning golden. You know, you are made to realize that it's still made of the frail mud stuff. So this is the charm, the danger, the beauty, the unexpectedness, the adventure and the challenge of this yoga. Shubhindu tells us it's not about some realization. There may must be a descent of the light not merely into the mind or part of it, but into all the being down to the physical and below. So this is another letter and then there is a third one where Shubhindu speaks. He wants us to guard against certain general mistakes with which we confuse transformation. Our yoga aims at the discovery of the supramental being, the supramental world and the supramental nature and their manifestation. Now the problem is these words have become very familiar to us and we are really not ready to receive these words but it is our grace. It is their grace that they have released these words into the atmosphere so that at least mentally we can little bit understand. But Shurabindu cautions us, but we must guard ourselves against certain general mistakes which are likely to arise. People think that certain powers such as anima, garima, it's to become light, to become heavy, 
or the control of the physical functions and the capacity to cure diseases constitute the supramentalized physical. He has left no doubts in anybody's mind. If you read through Shabindo's writings, we'll have no doubts. This capacity to cure by certain magical means, oh, I am getting the supermind and throwing it and the illness is getting cured, it's mostly the vital. So he says, we should guard against these ideas. In many cases, these powers are acquired by persons who happen to open themselves consciously or unconsciously to the subliminal being where these powers lie. There are plenty of cases where such powers are seen in persons who have no idea of the super mind or of yoga. You don't even need to actually do yoga. Sometimes these powers are just released into certain people because of certain kind of constitution. A freak experiment of nature. What the old yogins manifested in their life was largely due to the control of the vital being over physical functions. There is the story of uh, when Sri went to meet this famous yogi Brahmanand on the banks of Narmada. It is said that he had lived 200 or 300 years. Sri did not doubt he must have lived. He says for many he knew what happened during the Shivaji period and quite possible that he would have lived. But that is not transformation of the physical. That is superimposition of the vital on the physical. It is the superimposition of another, the law of another plane onto the physical so that for a moment the physical is possessed and overpowered by the vital. Now vital we all know can continue to exist for hundreds of years. It's very easy. But for that, one has to cut oneself off from active interchange with the world. You cannot do it otherwise. So these yogis do it. We hear about certain lamas. I have gone to uh, Ladakh, where some of these lamas are. And um, when I was there in Siachin, I was told that they are lamas. I, I really went around searching for one. I couldn't find. But I was told that you know there are some who you know, to become a head lama, you have to pass a very difficult examination. So what is the examination? It's not a scriptural text. But uh, you have to um, sit on a cold wintry night, uh, uh, you know, on the bank of a river and uh, bare-bodied. And you have to drip the blanket inside the cold water, wrap it around your body and by the body's heat, dry it. And you have to do it a certain number of times, some 21 times or something like that. And then you are qualified to be a Lama of that order. Now, it may be true, there must be some truth in these things. But that is not transformation. So this is, you have to cut yourself off. You cannot, you have to have your own little monastery, your own little environment, which is favorable, in which you live. And the moment you go out, there is a very famous film which had come, I think it was Shangri-La, where, you know, this is shown that within a certain valley, certain thing is experimented upon. But the moment you come out of that, step out, you are prone to all the old problems and you crumble to dust. So, our aim is not this attainment of the vital siddhis. There are stories even in the ancient scripture that people, there are yogis and, you know, who have lived for thousands of years. The control of the physical substance and functions through vital force. This is not transformation. What we are attempting to achieve is a complete transformation of our, of our entire being in all its planes of manifestations. In the old disciplines, the goal was not transformation or victory over the physical being. They did not lay any direct hold on it. So this is one and then finally another common mistake that we make when we use the word transformation. <clears throat> because this word has come and is being very used very loosely, transformation, like yoga. Any posture is yoga. By that criteria all the animals do the best hot yoga in the world. And <laughs> you know tortoise does the best pranayam because you know it breathes only three to five times in one minute. So who can be a greater yogi than the tortoise? But uh, that is not, 
yoga so similarly transformation is you must get rid of certain get out of certain wrong ideas that you seem to have about yoga shobindo is writing in one of the letters for these are dangerous it's not only that these ideas are misleading somebody may say okay it's all right what's there we all have our own freedom to think the way we want to shobindo is saying yes but know that this is dangerous so these ideas are dangerous and ought to be thrown away by every sadhak what somebody does with their life is their business but if you want to take up shobindo's yoga certain ideas should be thrown out of the windows of a mind not because shobindo wants us to think the way he wants us to think he is simply telling us it is dangerous so he is just cautioning us what are those ideas one the object of yoga is not to become like sri aurobindo or the mother i have read some books where people even talk about going beyond shobindo and the mother somebody writes that you know shobindo stops there now we are carrying the work forward transforming the physical the other things have already already been done we can do away with all that so these ideas come to make a you know megalomania has its own field of expression so this start to become like shobindo and the mother several letters shobindo writes that uh, it will be otios unnecessary to have another aurobindo <laughs> and there are people even in ashram you know there are people who like to dress up like shobindo have a beard like him and sit in a posture you know so that at least in looks one looks like shobindo so when somebody's leg gets fractured one can believe that you know i am at least limping like shobindo <laughs> all that is fine but that is not what shobindo expects us was so it's not becoming like shobindo and the mother that now i am the mother even after mother's physical even when she was in a physical body there was a lady who came a yogini who or some fraud who claimed that she is the real mother and it caused a lot of stir and you will be amazed that some even senior sadhaks in the ashram whose names would scandalize went to meet her and after the mother left the body of course she went her fate was that she was finally picked up by the police they discovered some fraud then even subsequently it's we take these things so casually so those who cherish this idea shobindo is also telling us those who cherish this idea easily come to the further idea that they can become their equals and even greater this is only to feed the ego as simple as that shobindo is telling us this is only to feed the ego two the object of yoga is not to get power there are two kinds of people who are drawn to yoga one who come for knowledge self realization enlightenment to know the true self to know truth to live in truth and by truth others who are attracted by the side benefits of yoga spin offs as they say the by products by products of yoga is powers i will be able to cure people i will be able to be to do miraculous things people are going to worship me so this is the uh, reason why certain beings are attracted to yoga and in the ancient traditions it is known that the asuric nature are attracted to the powers that they can get out of yoga but they don't want to go through the way of knowledge in shobindo yoga first the vedantic way then the tantra to to first before one gets the powers one must be rooted in the true self otherwise they will you know it's like trying to lift a great uh, hefty mace which only a great warrior can lift one ends up breaking one's own head by it so it's not running after powers so he says the object of yoga is not to get power or to be more powerful than others or to have great siddhis or to do great or wonderful or miraculous things it's a yoga which you know one has to in one place shobindo says if you are not willing to become the ordinary of the most ordinary human beings then you are not really ready for this yoga to be willing to be that look at mother with all the realizations with all the powers in her being 
she did everything like a very common person even shurtindo when he came people used to sit keeping their feet in front of him and it is the mother who taught them how to be with the master they didn't even know that he is the master he never told anything and yet he was changing just by the mere presence and the mother by her own personal example taught them she had no reason to do she is shurbindo's equal she has realized everything that shurbindo has realized and she yet she taught us how to be in front of the master so it's not to do great or wonderful or miraculous things three the object if somebody is not willing to become ordinary if one wants to become extraordinary one gets a blow in this yoga one should be willing to be like an ordinary human being and the change will take place very beautifully sometimes very imperceptibly but in a very solid way three the object of yoga is not to be a great yogi or a superman so all this talk about supermanhood so beautiful shirvindo teaches us how to be truly humble the object of yoga is not to be a great yogi or a superman this is an egoistic way of taking the yoga and can lead to no good avoid it all together shirvindo's words avoid it all together so what is supermanhood all about supermanhood like everything else is the natural consequence of living in the divine consciousness when we surrender our entire being in the hands of the divine and live by that when we live for that when we live in that when each part and plane of our being is consciously surrendered to that it becomes a flawless instrument a pure and perfect channel of that which has no name then we can we naturally enter into a state which some may call as supermanhood but to become a superman is all the wrong reason for entering into yoga for to talk about the supramental and think of bringing it down in yourself is the most dangerous of all i had a very interesting experience there was a session of hypnosis in the ashram in one of the conferences 3 4 years back so there was a person who was uh, talking you know he introduced everybody that look uh, people talk about all this read such books and you know but i want to actually show what savitri is by bringing down that into human beings everybody so i was supposed to be the chairperson and i shuddered when he spoke such words you know but nevertheless i had no choice i can't run away because you know he has already started it would be impolite so he put everybody he was doing nothing but a guided imagery you know a lot of people do that so he started you know imagine a golden light you know and golden light was coming down and everybody close your eyes and everybody is relaxed and then you know he said now this is what i was meaning so you know sometimes you have to burst the bubble so i said it's very fine everybody is in trance but i have to make a small announcement it's lunch time so those who want to go can go others can remain within moments <laughs> within moments everybody came back from the supramental to the <laughs> to the very very mentalized physical state so this is necessary because uh, you know people get into all kinds of fads there are fads that if i don't eat i'll become supramental so for many days people don't eat then they have a breakdown and then you know i have to take care so you know <laughs> prevention is better than cure sometimes you know they lose sleep and they think they are being supramentalized so all kinds of ideas are there shivindo has told us is the most dangerous of all it may bring an entire megalomania and loss of balance in fact when mother was asked in late 60s she saying do not pull give yourself do not pull give yourself i am pulling the super mind in some intense concentration if at all super mind were to come down we will vanish thank god it doesn't come down even little bit of that vital forces come down and we lose a balance so she says he says it's megalomania and loss of balance what the sadhak has to seek is the full opening to the divine the psychic change of his consciousness the spiritual change 
of that change of consciousness. This is what we will read and then pause and we'll continue from there. What Shurabindu is telling us, what is required of us? Opening to the divine, selflessness, great demand, difficult, desirelessness, even more difficult, humility, impossible, bhakti, oh, this is all old-fashioned stuff, surrender, this is not correct, we are individuals, calm, equality, peace, quiet, sincerity, not demonstrative sincerity. I am here for 40 years and you know I have done this. Quiet sincerity are necessary constituents even to I think experience in some measure one of these is a great, great step forward. I just read again, full opening to the divine, selflessness, desirelessness, humility, bhakti, surrender, calm, equality, peace, quiet sincerity are necessary constituents until he has the psychic and spiritual change to think of being supramental is an absurdity and an arrogant absurdity. There is an emphasis, Shurabindu is not known for too much of emphasis, you know, like that. He is putting an emphasis that it is an absurdity and then he says it is an arrogant absurdity. All these egoistic ideas, if indulged, can only aggrandize the ego. That's what they show with Ravana having ten heads. Spoil the sadhana. Whatever little chance we have, that is gone. And lead to serious spiritual dangers. They should be rejected all together. Have a quick 10-15 minutes interaction. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't know how to really proceed. So, <laughs> so but it's okay. We read Shirobindo and the Mother. So. Did you say something about equality? Yes, I thought we'll take this as a full subject. Because it's a very, very important fundamental of the sadhana, so maybe another session will, yes. Yes, that's true. Actually, that touches the point of equality. With regard to, this is a letter written in context of people. And, uh, you know, when sometimes, say a teacher. Now, he has to, I'm giving a commonplace example. He's called upon to judge the student. Now, judge is a word we use, but, I mean, he has no choice, but he has to observe. Similarly, when a departmental head, he, has, he cannot say that everything is okay, you know, whatever anybody is doing. Uh, similarly, in life, Sometimes we have to observe. It is very good to and needed to observe because otherwise one can be very easily misled by very beautiful words because, you know, our mind can always weave things. So to learn to observe correctly, human nature, its various movements is fine. But it should not be done, you know, in a spirit where you uh, condemn the human being as, you know, that's where the sympathy word comes in. That because you have observed something, that means the person is gone for good. Nobody is gone for good. Everybody, mother is seeing to it and she will take care in her own way. And the best way is to even suggest that if you open to her, she takes care of everything. So that is being in sympathy also to know that we all have our difficulties with which we struggle. Nevertheless, again impartiality is when it's not an egoistic standpoint. Our standpoint is, if somebody appreciates me, then all that the person says is good or right. If a person is my friend, 
then invariably I take it for granted that the person, I have to support the person. These are very unconscious biases in human nature, which are so natural that we don't even observe it. Sometimes I have a certain cherished opinion and the other person voices a similar opinion and I hold it right because I am holding on to my preferred opinion by my ego. So there are so many ways where we are partial, even where we look impartial. But to be impartial is to use only one light and one standard. Now in this particular yoga we can say to see it in the mother's light, as simple as that. If you don't want to look at it like that, look at it from the psychic light. The psychic light is first, is it true? Is it beautiful? Is it good? At least that's a you know a very simple yardstick which everybody has. But best is to see it in mother's light. What does mother and Shubhendu? For instance, now we have read this letter, and every anybody speaks about you know bringing down supramental and affecting a change. We know that the person is going towards megalomania, and you definitely feel sympathy rather than you know. And if you are friend, you would it would do good to tell him that look, I mean this is dangerous. And if there are people who are moving around and you know are attracted to this, there is no harm in telling them, look, it's your business if you want to do it. But definitely this is going to land you in deep trouble. So this can be, but you know, one need not go beyond it. So that's where probably to observe with impartiality and with sympathy. And it can go in many, many uh, instances. Sometimes it can take a very different turn. There is a very interesting letter of Shurabindo on equality. We can just touch that and maybe... When Shurabindo was asked by Sahana Devi that somebody has talked ill of mother and Shurabindo and uh, uh, of you and mother and I feel a great anger rising within me. And uh, someone said it's alright but somebody else says it's deviation from equality. What should I do? Then Shubhendu wrote his famous letter, which uh, you know is quoted in Letters on Yoga. Uh, I think it's the last letter in the section on works, probably. And there he says that equality of neutral indifference is all right for the old yogas, but in our yoga there is a work to be done, there is a truth to be established against which immense forces are arraigned. You know, falsehood doesn't allow this. And so, to take an active stand in favor of truth as against falsehood. In fact, he also speaks about subtle attacks against the leaders of the work. Obviously, referring to him and the mother. Like, supposing somebody came and, uh, I'll give a very crude example. Walked to the ashram samadhi, you know, drunk in a drunk state and started putting a hammer over the samadhi. I would not say I am being very equal because I don't care, you know, what he does. He can put a bottle of plastic, you know, water, half drunk or even undrunk on top of the samadhi and I will say I should be indifferent and equal. That would be a wrong understanding of equality. Equality has to be practiced with reference to my ego. If somebody hits me a nice tight blow, I may remain untouched. That is greatness. But you know, when there is a very obvious violation of the very fundamental principle of truth, then to say one is equal is not right. One would obviously go there and say, look, please, you know, this is not the place for keeping the bottle. Keep it down. If the person insists that he is doing the right thing, you may even have to drag him out. It's perfectly fine and in order and consistent with equality. And that's the example Shurabindu in fact gives in that letter, quoting the Gita where he says that Gita which insists so much on equality equally bids Arjuna to fight. So it depends on the context also. So all these things have to be practiced in reference to the ego. The purpose of equality is to get rid of the ego sense. It's not uh, to get rid of all sense altogether. <laughs> yes please. Thousands of 
Please be seated. Uh, uh, well, Ashupati and Shurbindo, as in Savitri itself, it is said, who is Ashupati? One in the front of the immemorial quest. So he is a pioneer. And who is he? He who wears the human cloak, in which which disguises the all-knowing guide. So Ashupati is an avatar. And similarly, Shurbindo, he is an avatar. Now, avatar puts on the human nature. Precisely because we can put on the divine nature. So definitely Shurabinda and Ashupati are special cases if one may say so. Not because they are chosen but because they have chosen to come down and take on the human nature. So there is a difference between a conscious descent which avatar is and a chosen human vessel. Chosen human vessel is there. You know something like you know one can speak of Nalnida and... Uh, well, Niroda and all these Champaklaji who were there, you know, they were definitely chosen vessels. Now, why they have been chosen? Uh, if we ask, we will know the divine logic. For instance, there is someone whose outer nature one cannot understand, but the mother has chosen. So she speaks that it's to your soul, you know, she sees that truth manifesting through it, or she sees the truth of the being, and she has to bring that out. And sometimes these beings can take upon themselves a great difficulty. So about one such person, um, obviously no names, but if you see this person from, from the outside, you get a feeling that this person is completely entrenched in the most uh, material mind. He cannot understand anything beyond gross physical facts. But mother has chosen him as someone very close and very close to mother. And mother has written a line about him that he represents the material man but with the capacity to be psychicized. Now you see, there are two sides of truth of human beings, the nature and the soul. The divine sees the soul, man sees the nature. And that is why there is the famous story of why Arjuna is chosen for the Gita. Why not Yudhishthir? Yudhishthir is a great uh, Satyavad, you know, he never tells a lie. Arjuna is not known to be so truthful. Yudhishthir is... Uh, absolutely he is faithful he is uh, you know married to Draupadi you know that too has a sharing and he sticks to her Arjuna goes around Arjuna has three you know wives uh, thrice married uh, Arjuna has his own problems his own weaknesses but Arjuna is chosen now why is Arjuna chosen because there is something in him in his psychic consciousness which is very profound and what is that when a choice comes whether you accept the whole army or Krishna Arjuna is very clear. He says, let army, victory, all this go wherever they want. I want Krishna just for the delight of your company. Now that's the truth of Arjuna's soul. But the truth of Arjuna's nature, if you see outwardly, not that he is a great being, not that he is an ordinary mortal, he is skillful, he is perfect in concentration, but he is less truthful than Yudhishthir, less meditative than Sahadev, less strong than Bhima, less Mahatma than Vidur he can fly into a rage he makes all kinds of promises which he is unable to keep yet he is chosen so this choice is based on something very intrinsic and fundamental which is true of the soul of the human being we don't know it either about ourselves or about others why we have been chosen and brought to this path sometimes we may even feel we are the most horrible creature samples. <laughs> there are so many beautiful beings. But this is an error of perception. When someone asks Shurabindo, Niroda in fact, I wish you had disciples like uh, Swami Vivekananda. So Shurabindo says, as to the disciples, I agree. <laughs> that I have a lot. Uh, of course he uses the word kismat, you know. But then he says something very interesting. He says, but as to Vivekananda, we do not know whether he would agree to this kind of an effort and we do not know if he took to this yoga, whether he will not break down under the pressure and the ordinary humanity will not begin to show. 
and this is for someone as great and leonine as vivekananda undoubtedly a great yogin so we do not know what is this is something which only the divine knows but shurubindus and the mothers instance they are special descents so it's not they are chosen they have chosen 